Okay, so today's daf is Yud Gimel in Sukkah. We are on Yud Gimel Amud Aleph. We are 15 lines from the top where it says, where it says, Va'amar of Chizda, Amaravina, Barshela, Hane, Merarita, De Agma. Now, this is not really directly connected to our subject, but we'll see why it is tangentially related. Marita uh, de Agma is a certain type of maror, it's a certain type of bitter herb that grows by the swamp or whatever, the agam. Um, the lettuce of the agam, she says, Chazerot shel agam. So this, Adam Yotzei behen yidei chobato pesach a person can use that for Pesach, even though it's not called maror, it's called Marita de Agma, it's called swamp grass, swamp uh, lettuce, but it's still acceptable. Afilu shuze achila leachila? For Maror, we're talking about the mitzvah of Maror. Okay. That's what it says. You'd say Adam Yedei Chobato Bapesach, right? So, there is an objection to that. They, uh, what's the objection? And there's an extra hay here that doesn't belong. Okay. Ezov, Velo Ezov Yavan, Velo Ezov Kochali, Velo Ezov Midbari, Velo Ezov Romi, Velo Ezov Shesh Lo Shem Levai. So we learned that when, it, when the Torah specifies something like Ezov, for example, the Hisap branches that have to be used. For um, uh, for the para aduma, so it says the word ezov, and um, and the use of the word ezov implies that not any other kind of a species. For example, ezov of uh, the hyssop branch of, of Greece or kochalis, it's some other place uh, uh, or type subspecies of. Uh, Ezov, or of the of the desert, or of Rome, right? So any, in other words, any qualification, any name, extra name, means that this is not what the Torah intended, because it says you should just take the regular Ezov, you shouldn't take the specific kind of Ezov uh, of one of these uh, subspecies, right? So, so therefore, why would it be, the question of the Gemara is, one, we, we learn that we have to eat Maror, really that should just mean something that's called Maror, not something that's called Maror of the Swamp, because Maror of the Swamp has an extra name attached to it. It sounds like it's a, a different species. Just like saying uh, the Ezov of Rome. It's not just a regular Ezov. It's a Roman Ezov. Oh, Roman Ezov. That's something else. Right? It's a, so, so Roman Ezov is something different than regular Ezov. So, so you see that whenever the Torah specifies a certain thing and doesn't give it, it doesn't, uh, uh, it talks in the general term and doesn't use the, uh, any specific subspecies. So a subspecies is not allowed. You have to take the, you have to take the regular. So it's so. How, how come here the Maror is okay? Amar Abaye Kol Shinishtana Shemo Kodem Matan Torah Ubat Torah Uvikpida Alav Biadur Shesh Loshem Levai Vaan Elon Shinishtana Shemayu Kodem Matan Torah Klal. That Abaye's answer is that if there were many different sorts of this grass or this item prior to the giving of the Torah, and there were subspecies, and the Torah came and said, no, only the general, not the subspecies. So that would mean that it's excluding the subspecies. So Rashi explains, says, etc. There are special types. In other words, if these subspecies designations existed at the time of the Torah, and the Torah doesn't mention any of them, and only mentions the general, meaning the one that is not with a specific type. It will be like, if you have like, uh, if a person says apple, they mean a red apple. I'm just, let's say, not a Macintosh apple, not a Granny Smith, not a Honey Crisp. You know, they mean a regular apple, but red apple. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, if, if there's a, 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 a stam meaning, like a default meaning of the term, 
And then there are subspecies. If those subspecies existed at the time of the Torah, then the fact that the Torah is, uh, is mentioning again and again the default type means you only can use the default type. Right. However, if the, the here the name didn't exist, the subspecies didn't exist at the time of the Torah was given, so it's not referring to those subspecies. It's just saying when it comes to maror, it's just saying bitter herbs. It's not referring to any. It's not distinguishing between species really. And this idea of like Rashi says here, that at the time when the Torah was given, this swamp grass or whatever, this swamp maror was just regular maror. It didn't have a specific designation. People just call it that. Now, but it wasn't that didn't exist at the time of the Torah was given, so therefore the Torah is not excluding it. Okay. However, along comes Ravarava, Really, the, there's an even more basic answer. This it doesn't matter when the name evolved or emerged, whether it was before the Torah was given or afterwards. That's not the main point. The main point is that this isn't really a special name at all. Swamp Maror is not really a special name. Mishum, the, what's the reason why? It's really, it's just really Maror. The only reason why it's calling it Swamp Maror is because that's where you find it. In other words, it's not a special species of Maror. It's not a special species of grass. It's just that it happens to be found in swamps. So that's, that's not a different species. That's just a location. So according to Abaye, it is a different species. But since that designation didn't exist in the time of the Torah, the Torah was including all of them. And according to Ravan, no, it's not even really a different category. It's just that it was an identifier. Like, oh, go and get the, uh, um, ap- the orchard apple, you know, or go and get the apple from the, uh, from the street. But it, it's just a name of a place where they grow. So that, that's... Um, that, that came up because we were talking about the idea of aguda, of bundles of things. And we're actually going to continue on that same topic. If you wrap one thing, it's not really considered a bundle because there's not more, because a bundle means more than one thing. If you have three things and you wrap them together, obviously that's called eged, that's called a bundle. If you, if you have two items and you wrap them together, it's like zimun. Zimun three, that's a group. One, definitely not a group. Two, it's a machloket in the Gemara we learned in Masechet Bachot. If you can do a zimun with only two people, right? Because is that considered a group or is there a difference between, like in English, we distinguish between a group and a couple. We'd say there's a couple if there's two. So there's a group if it's more than two usually, right? We wouldn't say two people are a group. Um, so there, that, that's exactly the point here. So it's according to, so that's a machloket. If you wrap two things together, is that considered egin? It's not. As we learned in a Mishnah, that in order to have the application of the paraduma with the agudat ezov, with the bundle of ezov, which we actually actually doesn't explicitly say in the in the paraduma parasha that you have to use a bundle of ezov to apply the paraduma, but we learn it from the from Shava, We learn it from a connection to Korban Pesach in Mitzrayim, where it says ulkachtem agudat ezov. That you have to have a bundle. So you take a bundle of the hyssop. You need three stalks that have three, um, you know, three roots that have three stalks. In other words, meaning one stalk per root. So you need three branches basically of hyssop, not multiple uh, branching off. It doesn't mean three stalks or three roots, each of which has three branches. It means three stalks, which includes three branches. In other words, you have to have three complete stalks of hyssop to con- constitute a group. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Mitzvah is of Shlosha. He says, if you started out with, the mitzvah is to start with 
three stocks. That's true. But if you if one of them uh, is lost and you have only two, that's also good. And if they all wear down and you have barely anything left in the end, but diavad, that's also good. In other words, you keep using it again and again. As long as you started out with the right amount, even if it wears down over time, you can still count it as bidiavad is good. It's kind of similar to the halachav tzitzit. You know, if it wears down, you know, in certain ways, it still still can retain its function. So he says that there he say now the question is what's the machloket vaidikatani shlosha le mitzvah right so the the when he says shlosha so if Rabbi Yo, so the thing is like this kasal kedatin we assume midishurav shenayim tchilatonami shenayim right from the fact that Rabbi Yossi says that if you have left only two instead of three right that means that really in in theory if you started even with two it would also be okay right vaidikatani shlosha le mitzvah. And he's only saying three le mitzvah. He's only saying it's ideal to start with three, but really he holds that you could do it with only two. And from the fact that we see that Rabbi Yossi is only saying that three is an ideal, it's an extra mitzvah, that means that according to the rabbis, it's me'akev, you have to have three. In other words, that would be the machloket, that according to Rabbi Yossi, really two items bundled together is already considered a bundle. According to the Chachamim, no, minimum three to be considered a bundle, right? And even Rabbi Yossi says, it's nice, mehadrin, mina mehadrin, to have three. Okay, but the Gemara says that's not true. Vatani will end in a brighter. Yosi Omer is of shetchilato. It says shetchilato shenaim v'shirav echad. It says if you have a um, if you have an is you have a bundle of hisab that started out with two pieces and it ends up with only one pasul. That's pasul. Ve'no kasher ad shetchilato shlosha v'shirav shenaim. It's not kosher unless you started with three and you end up with two. In other words, he, he says that in order to be considered a bundle, you have to start with three. If in the end one of those pieces falls off or gets lost or ruined, it's bidiyavad, it's okay, but lechatchila, you must have three, right? He says if you had three and the third one wore out or uh, got broken or fell off or whatever, you, you could still continue and it would be considered okay. But you have to at least start with three for sure according to Rabbi Yossi. So therefore we have to correct that and say Epoch reverse it. Rabbi Yossi Because the problem was that in the original teaching, both Rabbi Yossi and the rabbis were saying three was the ideal. So the question is which one is saying three is absolutely necessary and which one is saying that three is just an extra credit. So now we're saying Rabbi Yossi says that three is necessary to constitute a group. And then if you lose one along the way, you could say that it retains the status of aguda of a group, according to um, according to uh, uh, the chachamim. The three is only le mitzvah, is only a extra credit, and really two is already considered a group. So we see it's a machloket. But then we learn in a brayta is of shet chilato shenayim b'shirav echad kasher v'enoposulat shet chilato b'shirav echad. It says that an, uh, the bundle of hissa that starts with two. And ends with one, meaning you started out with two, but one of them got ruined or broken or lost, right? But you started with two. It's okay, but um, And it's only bad. It says that the only time it's pasul is if the beginning or the leftover is one. So the Gemara says, what do you mean? What do you mean? You just said a second ago that if you have two and the leftover is one, that it's okay. So how could you then say that if the leftover is one, it's not okay? The answer is we turn down with The time that it's pasul is if, the, if you start out with what is only good for a leftover, which is echad. In other words, according to that view, that's the view of the Chachamim. The Chachamim all that two, there are three levels. There's Mahadrin, right? Glad kosher, agudat ezov is three. Kosher one is two. Anything less than that, nothing. Right? Unless bidiyavad, one fell out. Okay, if you started with two 
and then one, one got ruined, you could keep going. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the Chachamim. According to Rabbi Yossi, the three is absolutely necessary. You have to have started with three. If you didn't start with three, you had nothing. If it breaks down now to two, B'diavad will say that's still okay. But one, definitely not according to Rabbi Yossi. So that's the machloket between them. So you see that they have a machloket whether two items wrapped together has the status of a group or not, of an eged, of a bundle or not. We need three. A point applying the para aduma water to the person. Yeah. So we learn it from the case of Koban Pesach, but the application practice is to the uh, is to the para aduma. the same item. Not the same one, obviously. Yeah. yeah, they added some to it too. Yeah, Darash Maramar said, Hane Asuraita This these branches of Surah, these are um, it says that they are Kanim. these are bundles of uh, reeds or, or uh, sticks that they would sell in the shuk and they would sell them wrapped in a bundle. Okay? You can use them for schach. The question is why? You can't. Because even though they tie them up, they only tie them up to count them. In other words, they're not tied up to be stored that way. And we said before that the problem with using any kind of a bundle of reeds or sticks or whatever is that you're going to end up confusing that with just a regular storehouse. You'll say, oh, well, I have bundles of, uh, of sticks in my, in my backyard. I'll just go uh, put a mat under there and I'll make it a sukkah. But that's, that's not tzach. That was, that was just sitting in your backyard. You won't see the difference. But here, since most people take this home and then they unwrap it, because it's only wrapped for counting, in other words, to make sure that every bundle has like, say, 10 sticks. I don't know. You know, like you, you get a bundle or something like that. It's counted that way. So that's the only reason it's wrapped. So, there's, so normally a person wouldn't keep it wrapped like that anyway. So the gzirah doesn't apply to that case. Another, you're saying that you can use the bundle as is. Yeah, just as is. That's correct. Yeah, you don't need to open it. You don't need to. That's what it's saying. Because in the last Mishnah it says you can't use Chavile Kanim. You can't use bundles of Kanim. That was the last Mishnah. Right. Because since this is not the kind of bundle that is kept for storage, it's just a kind of bundle that like when you go to the store and they count out a bunch of... Uh, pieces of something and then they tie it together so you, you know, it's tied into a, you know, a dozen, I don't know, whatever, and they give it to you. So that's not something you're so going to keep like that. You're going to store it. Your, uh, your, uh, Intention, yeah. Right. Intention. It depends on the style of the tying. In other words, if the tying is done, like a, a thing of those firewood, you know, you, you let those sticks that are for, for firewood, yeah. they, you keep it like that for a very long time. You, you keep it wrapped like that and then you unwrap it when you're going to use it. Yeah. So you could see that as storage. But if somebody just takes, let's say, a certain amount of items and then they tie it up, for you to take, like the bakery ties the cake or whatever. I'm just giving an example, but like something that's only temporary, you're going to go and open it. You're not going to leave it like that forever. So therefore, we know that that's not really a storage bundle. And the problem was storage bundle. So since it's not a storage bundle, it's okay. Yeah, for example, they, they sell this uh, straws, bundle together, a package of 25. Right, you're not going to leave it like that. Yeah, it's for, That's, a, that's a sim- so similar. You, you can't use straws, but yeah. You can't use straws, but yeah. The idea, yes. Amr Rabbi Abba, Rabbi Abba said, and it said, Suchi Amr Rabbi Abba, Amr Rabbi Shmuel, according to the side. Hanet Surifei to Urbanei. This was an interesting thing. These were sort of mini huts. This is very interesting. The Rashi explains and the other Rishonim explain. These were made by people who were hunting birds to hide in the brush, basically, so they could like... Camouflage. Right, the camouflage type of thing, so they could, they could catch birds. Right? So it was like a t- sort of little teepee sort of thing that they, it was made out of stuff that was actually kasher for schach, and it was tied on the top and it was like a sort of a teepee shape like came down on a, a V upside down V shape 
and then it was also like um, woven around at the bottom and it made like a little like uh, capsule for the person to hide in that I guess they would jump out of it and, 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 and get the birds. I don't know how, how exactly they did it. I'm not an expert in bird catching, but that's the concept. In, right? in so, Pennsylvania, you can find Yeah, really? I'm, I'm sure in certain rural areas. If you untie the top of it, it's kosher for schach. In other words, the point is that this is also like a type of a bundle because it's a bunch of different sticks that they tie on the top and they, and they weave on the bottom together to make this cone. So it says, you can use it for schach, you just have to untie the top so it's not like a bundle. So it says, what about the what about the weaving on the bottom? You just have to untie that also to loosen it up. Rabbi Yoshua said, He said that actually you don't even have to untie the bottom because the bottom was not tied strongly. It was tied very lightly that if you picked it up, it would actually fall apart. It was like a temporary kind of thing. It wasn't a long-term thing. So therefore, that tie doesn't count. But the tie on top, which was actually tied with a rope, you have to untie it in order to use it as chach because it's like a bundle. If, let's say you had the vegetables that a person um, is allowed to use for maror on Pesach. Okay, in other words, the different types of lettuce and so on. So it says, They bring tum'ah and they don't block tum'ah. So what that means is that if you made a tent out of them, if you made a roof, this is not talking about sukkah right now. If you made a roof out of maror, you take romaine lettuce and you make a roof out of it. It says that, and then you have a dead body under that roof. That's called mevi'ineta tum'ah, meaning it creates an oil that will spread the tum'ah to anything under the same oil as the lettuce roof. Okay? Huh? It's considered a roof. Right, that's saying. But en chotzetzin b'fnei tum'ah, which means that it, does, it is a roof, but it's not a roof, because if somebody is on the other side of that roof, they will still they can still become tamay. It doesn't block tum'ah. It only brings tum'ah. So Rashi says, Rashi says here that, um, there's a long, yeah, well, uh, no, it's a roof, a roof of lettuce. Roof of lettuce only. Not wall. So yeah, that that would not work. So (laughs) So, it means the roof. It's only talking about a roof. No, you're under, you made a roof lettuce of lettuce and under it is a piece of a dead body and you, that's that's so tiny. If you're above it, if you're above that thing, it won't block it. It won't stop Tum'ah. Right. Let's say you made a thing over that. You want to block. I'm making up a scenario. I'll make up a totally imaginary thing. You, you, there's a dead body out in the sun. You don't have anything to block it from the sun shining on it. So you make a lettuce roof over it. Okay, now th- then, you know, but you're, you lean over the lettuce roof to do something. Now you become tame anyway, even though, it's, even though there's a lettuce roof. So if somebody's, normally if somebody's under the same roof as a dead body, they become tame. But if you're over that roof, you don't become tame because it's going to be blocked. So it's saying here, it's, it's, you're, you have two, two negatives, right? Because if you're under it, you're going to become tamay. And if you're over it, you're going to become tamay. That's, that's the idea. Now, what's the reason? Rashi says it's the Rabbanan, that really it should work. Really it should work. Midoraita, really, it does block the tum'ah from going through. It says, um, They didn't want people to rely on a lettuce roof. Why? Because the lettuce will slowly dry out and fall down. It's not a, it's not a, a reliable, stable roof. So we don't want the person to rely on it for the blocking of the Tum'ah. That's in, according to Rashi, it's all the Rabbanan. And then he goes on and says that, and moreover, um, that poslin basukah mishum avir. If you use lettuce as your roof, um, and now the, Rashi explains that we must be talking about a type of maror that is not usually used for human consumption. So, uh, right, so, 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 maror, so, so our romaine lettuce would not be included in that because it is for human consumption according to most 
right? According to most. Some people don't like it, right? So the, um, but it's considered avir. It's considered to be air, meaning that it's considered non- non-existent from the perspective of sukkah because since it wilts away and will dry out very quickly and will fall off, we don't even count it when it's there, okay? Now again, that would seem to be an isur, that would seem to be an adurabanan concept because, um, because midoraita, uh, uh, it's there right now. Right, but because you can't rely on it because it's going to waste away. Now, the interesting thing is there's a difference between posel mishum avir and posel mishum schach pasul because schach pasul, an area of only a significant amount, a four amot is going to make something pasul. Um, it has to be a lot of schach to create a pasul, but of schach pasul. But when you're dealing with avir, even if you have a break of three tfachim, it can already become a. Uh, uh, or actually, no. Uh, yeah, schach pasul in the middle is four tfachim, and on the side is uh, is four amot, right? Yeah. And the uh, and and avir is is shlosha tfachim. Even three tfachim of, of open air will make the whole thing pasul. So therefore, it's more strict the lettuce. If you use lettuce, okay, or it would have to be an inedible lettuce. Now it says, what's the reason? Since when it dries out, it's going to fall apart. It's like it doesn't exist at all. If a person is harvesting grapes lagat, that means he's doing it in order to make it into grape juice and wine. He's going to crush the grapes. So therefore he has no use for the stalks, for for the stems of the grapes. That's called the yadot. Yad, the concept of yadot, yadot in the area of tum'ah, is that if you have, let's say, a food that is... um, that could potentially receive tum'ah, and the source of tum'ah doesn't touch the food, but touches the handle of the food, like the shell of the nut, or the, um, or the st- stem of the, of the grape, the stem of the apple. So that can also transmit tum'ah to the food, because it functions as part of the food, it, it helps you. But the thing is, when it comes to somebody who's harvesting grapes, you don't want those stems, actually. They get in the way. You don't want stem, because if stem gets into your grape juice, you're, you know, you're not going to gonna be good. Right, so you want it away. So therefore, that yad doesn't count as a yad. Similarly, somebody who uh, is harvesting for schach, he's harvesting to cover the sukkah, so also there, if he's harvesting grain and there's grain attached to the, uh, to the stalks, he wants to use the straw for schach, presumably, not the actual grain, so therefore he doesn't want them together. That's the point. Just like the person who's harvesting grapes to make grape juice doesn't want the stem to be attached to the grape. Because it's going to cause uh, it's going to cause problems for the grape juice. So anytime you don't want them to be connected, so we say that they don't affect one another. If you touch the ste- if you touch that stem, it's not going to affect the food because in, you already don't want the stem's relationship with the food. And the same will be true. You don't want the straw and the food to be connected for schach because food is not good schach. Only straw is. Now it's a little bit the opposite because there you want you want the what we would normally consider the shell. And you don't want the food, but the same concept, right? So the Gemara says, I'm sorry, that's Ravuna's statement. Now, the thing is like this, that um, the, there's a difference between the one who says that if you harvest for schach, then the straw and the food are not considered to be in relationship to one another. Definitely, if you harvest grapes for grape juice, he's going to agree. Because he doesn't want 
the, st- the stalks, the stems, because he doesn't want them to ruin, right? They're going to absorb and ruin the, uh, the wine when he tries to make it, and that's not going to be very good. However, the other way might not necessarily be true, because But the person who says, the person who quoted the teaching above, that, uh, that if you harvest grapes for grape juice, the stem is not considered part of the fruit. That we understand, but it might be that in the case of Schach, he wouldn't apply that, because because maybe the person actually wants the food, because it gives weight. In other words, he wants a little bit of grain in the stalks that he's using. He's only using the stalks for schach because you can't use the food, but he doesn't mind that there's some grain in there because it weighs it down a little bit. So maybe you could argue that in the case of schach, there's an advantage to having a connection between the food and the stalk, and therefore the stalk and the food will still be considered one entity, and therefore if you touch the stalk, you could still affect the food status of tum'an sawa. So you can't prove from the case of grape juice to the case of schach because it could be that in the case of grape juice, for sure nobody wants the, stalk, the stems in there. But when it comes to schach, maybe you wouldn't mind having a little bit of the leftover over uh, grain because it will weigh it down, right? So now it says, Maybe the statement of Rav Nashia Bargada is a machloket tanaim. How so? Because we said, If you have the fig, you know, the, um, the, the uh, what? Right, like the branches of the, the, the thing that you don't want, right? The, but they have figs. You have the, um, you know, the stems, the branch, uh, right, the vines, right, that's what I was looking for. You have the vines and they have grapes. You have the straw and it has stalks of grain in it. In other words, you have the, the uh, let's say, the corn husk and, and, and the corn, right, sort of. Now, in any of those cases... Um, similarly with the branches of the, um, or the, you know, the branches of the dates, all of these things, So it's talking about schach. If you want to use any of these items for schach, you're not allowed to use food for schach, but you're allowed to use the branches. So even though there are some, let's say you want to use um, a grapevine for, rent, for schach, even though it has some grapes hanging off of it, as long as most of what you're putting up is branch and there's just a little bit of grape up there, it's okay. Right? As long as the majority is branch. We're not talking about the leaves. We're talking only about the branches. Branches, branches. Forget about the dolme. Just the branches. And right? So just the branches and it has some grape. Right? So the thing is, it's saying as long as whatever is edible, maybe that includes the, the, the leaves, whatever is edible is outnumbered by the branches, you're okay. He adds something, he says, no, 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 there has to be more branch than yadot and food. What's yadot? That means the little part of the stem, let's say in the case of the grape, where it connects to the grape, that's also included as part of the food. The little part of the, the, part of the stalk where it connects to the, uh, to the grain, that's called the yad, right? That minimum amount. There's a discussion about exactly how much is considered the yad. You can, you can debate it, but it's a small amount. Whatever you would have as the minimum to hold it. Okay, so that, that part is also considered part of the food according to achirim. So that seems to fit perfectly with the second view. Um, that would seem to fit with this, the exact machloket we saw above. Right, because the, because my love because what what do we just say? We said that there's a question whether schach 
whether when you have schach that it contains food, whether we consider it to have a yad or not, whether we consider the stalk attached to the food to still be in a relationship or not. Obviously, Achirim still considers the, the stalk and the food to be in a relationship. And therefore, if you touch the stalk, it would affect the food's tumah and vice versa because the stalk and the food are connected. Right? And according to the Rabbanan here, the Tanakhama here is saying that no, that you don't have to consider the yad, the, the handle of the food, to be a part of the food when it comes to schach, because you don't really want them to be related to each other. The only thing you need to nullify is the amount of actual grape that is there. So that seems to be exactly what we said before, right? So it says, So according to Rabbi Abba above, who said, who only spoke about the case of the grape juice and said in the case of grape juice, we don't consider the stems to be connected to the fruit. So you can see he'll definitely say there's a machloket tanaim here about schach because we said that it's very possible that he would agree, that he would agree with the case of schach or disagree. You could argue both ways, even though he holds that the grape juice, for sure, in the case of grapes that you're harvesting for grape juice, you don't want the stems. But maybe when it comes to schach, he would consider, maybe it is that you want the stems, maybe you don't. It's, it's debatable. But the question is, um, but uh, according to uh, according to the uh, Rav Menashiach, the Rav Menashiach Bar Gada, who said that schach does not have a yad, meaning that everyone should agree that when it comes to whatever you're putting up on the, on the, as schach, even if there's, food, if there's food and stems and stalks involved, there's no relationship between the stalks and stems and the food there either. So then how does he explain the machloket here? Right? So what is he going to do? Right, so he'll say to you. So, that, so then, he, how can you say it's a machloket tanaim? Because he's saying a definitive thing. If it's a machloket tanaim, how can he take a position on it? He's only an amorai. He can't take one side or the other. Right. So how can he just state as a fact something that contradicts tanaim? He must have an explanation for how he can be so sure that in the case of schach, there's no relationship between the stocks and the food. We only we look at them as separate entities. When it seems here that achirim is saying no, even when it comes to. Uh, we say that the, there's a connection between the stocks and the food and you have to nullify, in other words, there has to be a majority of branch against both the food and the part of the stock that is, is connected to the, to, to the food. So, No, everybody really agrees with me that uh, there's no concept of yad, there's no concept of a handle when it comes to, to, to something being used for schach. The food and the branch are considered separate from each other because you don't want the fruit and the branch to be connected. We must be talking here about a case where the person originally harvested this grain having in mind or these grapes having in mind that he was going to eat them. And then he decided to make it schach. So since when he originally harvested it, he thought he was going to use it for food. So then he was going to use the little stem to be able to eat it by hand. So that he didn't change the status now just by putting it up on the, on the, uh, on the sukkah. But that would be the issue. But then the question is, But then we have another problem. We can understand Achirim, why Achirim is saying that the handles of the food have the status of handles, since when he harvested it originally, he thought he was going to eat it, so the stem retained its status as a stem. But then why do the rabbis not agree with that? Why are the rabbis not counting the stem as part of the food? Right? Maybe you'll tell me that since he changed his mind and decided to make it schach, the rabbis are saying it cancels out his original intention to use it as food, and therefore it cancels out the status of a handle, that any part of the stock should be considered a handle for the food. That doesn't work. Does that really work? Could that really cancel out his original intention? We learned in the Mishnah. We've seen this before. It's a very famous Mishnah because it comes up again and again. That kola kelim, all vessels, yordin li dei tum'ah, 
Thought alone can make something susceptible to Tum'ah. For example, you decided what you're going to use um, an item for, and that will determine when its product is, is its product, you know, process of, uh, uh, of being, uh, you know, of, uh, of work is finished. So if you decided, I'm just going to use this skin as a tablecloth. So as soon as you have the t- the, it cleaned and it's ready, it could be a tablecloth, it's going to be mekabel tum'ah, right? Even though afterwards you say, you know what? No, I decided I'm going to make it into shoes. I'm going to cut it and make it into shoes. If you had originally intended to cut it and make it into shoes from the outset, so then it wouldn't be susceptible to tum'ah until you were done with the mlacha, with the actual process. But since you decided originally that you were going to do it at a stop at a certain point, once you get to that point, you've already established it as mekabel tum'ah, you can't then retract that's why it says, The only way you can remove something from, a, from being susceptible to Tum'ah is if you do some action. In other words, if you, um, if you simply change your thought, it's not going to be enough. So if you said, for instance, you had in mind you're going to use that, that leather to be a table cover or a mat... And then you decide, you know what? No, I decided I'm going to use it for making shoes. But you didn't do anything. Right? You didn't do anything to show that. You just said that or thought that. That won't change the status of the leather. But then if you actually cut it and start shaping it into a shoe. So now it will not be susceptible to Tum'ah until you finish making it into a shoe. Now, don't worry about that right now. We, we don't want to get too off the track. So now it says, Right? So because action is stronger. Like we say, action is louder than words, right? Right? So action overrides... The, the action, uh, you know, can, can override prior action and prior thought. But But thought alone cannot change it. So in other words, if you thought, oh, I'm going to change, I'm going to, I harvested this for eating, but then you didn't do anything different. You just put it up on the, uh, on the sukkah. You didn't do anything to the actual grapes or anything like that. So it became susceptible to, it, the, the stem became considered part of the food from the moment that you said, I'm harvesting it for food. It doesn't matter that you then changed your mind because you didn't do anything actually to it to demonstrate that, right? So therefore that can't be the rabbi's reason why they're not considering the stem to be part of the food. Maybe you'll say that's only with regard to kelim, with regard to vessels because they're very important about yadot. But when it comes to maybe you'll say that when it comes to stems of food, it's different than uh, it's different than uh, kelim. Kelim require, you know, it's 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 a whole process. You're you're you know you're producing them, you're fashioning them. What you decide the finished product is, you know, uh, what, what your parameters are for the finished product is very important. But when it comes to the stem of a food, maybe it's a different story, and maybe there just the thought that you changed your mind from using it to food to using it for schach will change the whole picture. And that's why the rabbis say that once you put it on the sukkah. The stem is no longer considered part of the food. Maybe that's why. No, we said that anytime you have um, food that had stalks, that the the, the the stems, the stalks that were crushed in the threshing floor, they become tahor, meaning they're no longer considered to be the um, connected. The stalks are no longer considered to be connected to the food. In other, so when you when they're when they're smushed on the floor of the threshing floor because they're going to now crush the grain and get rid of the stalks, right? So the stalks, if a Tamei person touched the stalk, it will not affect the grain. 
Okay? So, or, or the food, whatever food it is. It doesn't have to be grain, actually, but it's because it's saying gorin, it's saying a place where you, uh, where you, uh, usually that's grain, but it could be any kind of uh, fruits, vegetables, or whatever. Um, so the thing is, it says, So according to the view that says, what does it mean that was trampled on, that, the, that this food was trampled on, it means that you unwrapped the wrapping. In other words, that you bundled up this, whatever this food was in the field, and you brought it into the threshing floor to be processed, and you undid it. So because you undid it, you show that you don't want to carry it anymore. And since you don't want to carry it anymore, you can't really say that the stalks or the stems or whatever are serving as carrying, because now you're going to end up just re- you know, removing Moving them from the food and processing the food. So it, at that moment, simply by doing that, even though you didn't do anything to the food itself, right? You didn't do anything to the fruit itself. You just untied the bundle and left it on the floor. That's enough to show that you don't want those stalks to function anymore. Maybe that's why the rabbis are saying that if you take these grapes that you originally harvested to eat, but then you change your mind to make them schach, to make the branches for schach, then it changes the whole picture. Simply the fact that you, you put them on the sukkah should be enough. That would make sense according to that view. However, According to but according to the one who says that no, you actually have to crush the stalks in order for them no longer to be considered functional. So how are you going to apply it to our case? In our case, you didn't crush the stalks; you just put the the, the vine branches up there. No, okay. So so we'll also say in our case that it's talking about someone who crushed up the uh, you know trampled on these vines and then put them onto the sukkah. If that's true, so now we're going back to the question of what does the Akhirim say then? If you, in other words, you have to have an explanation for both sides. Because Akhirim said that no, the handles of the food are still considered food. And you're saying that the person crushed it. He crushed it and then he put it on Sukan. We're still going to consider the handle a handle. So I said, no, Damor Rabbi Yossi. He'll say that we went with Rabbi Yossi. It's not Rabbi Yossi, Mitamei. Rabbi Yossi says that uh, it's still susceptible to Tumah. In other words, it's still considered. You will have to attribute it to the same makhluk between Rabbi Yossi and the Chachamim. Right? Hi, Mai. How could you say that? We understand why Rabbi Yossi says that even though you crushed or trampled the grain, the handles are still handles. Why? Like Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish says, because a person will come along, even though he's no longer going to carry the grain around, he is going to use a pitchfork to like manipulate the grain, and it helps to have that extra body of the stock because otherwise the grain just falls right through it gives him something so since it still serves a function even though it's not a function of carrying it but it's a function of manipulating it and moving it around that's enough to say that it's still considered a yad right but how could you apply that to sukkah if you're talking about a case where we crushed the uh, and trampled on the branches and you put it on the sukkah what good is the vine anymore the thing's hanging off the, the grapes are hanging off of it and it's, it's not really functional anymore. What, what purpose do you need? It says, In other words, why would you consider the branches still connected to the fruit? The answer is that since still the fact that you have, a, uh, you have the connection, the relationship between the fruit and the, um, the, uh, uh, and the, the, and the branch will enable you when you take the sukkah apart, you'll be able to grab it and remove everything because they're still attached. So even though that's not really the main function usually of a yad is to use the fruit. Even here it's to remove the piece from the schach. But maybe Rabbi Yossi will say that even then it retains a level of its function. So we came a very far away from the original case. Because the original case just sounded like it was talking about where you took grape vines or branches that you intended for food. And you said put them on the sukkah. And now it changes the picture of what their status is halakhically. Now we're backtracking from that and saying no we're talking about where you trampled on it. And in trampling on it you showed that you don't want. 
want the relationship between the branch and the fruit anymore. And you put it on the schach. So, so the rabbis will say, well, that shows that you don't want the relationship anymore because you crushed it and whatever. And therefore, it's, you, know, you, you demonstrated that you don't want it to be able to function as a carrier of the fruit anymore. Rabbi Yossi says, well, the fact is you could still benefit from the connection between the branch and the fruit when you want to remove the schach. So therefore, we still consider it to have some utility vis-a-vis the fruit that it is connected to. Now, again, the Gemara is going to continue with just to elaborate on that. Gufa, we go back. The same thing we said before, that if you crush the stalks of the food in the threshing floor, now it's tahor, meaning now no longer when tum'ah touches the stalk will it affect the food. Rabbi Yossi says it well. So my basasah, now we're going back to what we said before. What does it mean crushing? Rabbi Yochanan, Amar basam mamash. According to Rabbi Yochanan, means you actually crushed it. Right? Rabbi Elazar Omer, Hitir Agdan. It just means that you untied it. So Bishlamal, Rabbi Elazar, Omer Basan, Hitir Agdan, Hainu, Demitame, Rabbi Yos. We understand according to Rabbi Elazar, who says that all that it means that you crushed it is that you untied the bundle. That's why Rabbi Yossi still thinks that if you touch the stalk, it will affect the fruit, because actually they're still connected. You just untied the bundle. You didn't really do anything. El Rabbi Yochanan, Damar Basan, Mamash. But according to Rabbi Yochanan, says you actually crushed it. Damai, Mitame, Rabbi Yossi. Why will Rabbi Yossi consider the stalk? To still be a part of the fruit if you crushed it. Like we said before, that since it's possible to utilize, in other words, you can benefit from when you're working with the grain, the fact that there's straw in there because you don't really want the straw, but it prevents the grain from falling through the uh, pitchfork uh, teeth. So therefore, it's a benefit and it's still considered to be a yad. And why do we compare? The tefillah of the tzaddikim to a pitchfork. That's like, because it says, Vayeater lo Hashem, right? It says, Vayetar Yitzchak l'Hashem l'Nochachishto. So the pasuk says that Yitzchak prayed to Hashem and it uses the word Vayetar. Yetar is an unusual uh, word for tefillah. It comes from, the, and they're saying it comes from the word pitchfork. Why? Because, Lo Malachat, to tell you, that, just like the pitchfork in the threshing floor moves. Uh, uh, moves produce from place to place. So too does the tefillah of the tzaddikim turn Hashem's inclination from the midat din, you know, from the negative to the positive. So it's a, like a pitchfork because it turns the turns the tide of the divine judgment around, and that's the uh, just like a pitchfork. Okay.